Goody camp blood, ain't ya? Thank you for joining us at Now Playing for our Friday the 13th retrospective. With all the excitement of the Michael Bay remake of Friday the 13th coming out on Friday, February 13th, we here at Now Playing will be looking back at all of the installments in the Friday the 13th movie franchise, from Crystal Lake to New York to Deep Space. Never come back again. It's got a death curse. Just a quick warning up front. These are R-rated movies that barely made it past the MPAA, and our discussions of the movies are just as R-rated. And also, these reviews will contain major spoilers. Listener discretion is advised. Today we're talking about Jason X, the 10th, I can't believe I'm saying that, 10th Jason movie. This is Brock, co-host of Now Playing. Mr. Stewart. This is Arnie, and in the words of Jason X, the future belongs to those who slaughter it today. (laughs) (laughs) And we're here to talk about Jason X, a unique entry into the Friday the 13th OVU where Jason not only goes into deep space, but travels into the future. The future, the future, the future. So let's get right into the movie, because there's a lot to talk about on this one. I want to say off the top that I had a really good time with this one. Did you guys have as good a time with this one as I did? Maybe. You know, it's funny. I saw this one on video. I want to say, Arnie, you made me watch it. Because I had no interest in seeing this movie when it, when it came out on DVD. And I hated it. I was like, oh, this is horrible. But having seen it as a part of the library, I can see variants. It's like if you don't watch one of these movies every week, as we've been doing, you're bound to miss the different levels of quality. What I'm basically saying is that I would say this movie sucked if I hadn't seen another Friday the 13th movie in a while. But compared to the other ones, it was actually one of the better. And I'm shocked for saying that. I take umbrage at the fact that you think I forced you to watch this, because I most assuredly did not. I may have forced (laughs) upon you D. Snyder's Strangeland, or Wishmaster, or Wes Craven's New Nightmare, but damn it, this one wasn't me. Okay. So the movie starts where Jason is already captured, and he's in a facility, a medical or or a security facility, right? Some sort of scientific facility? But before that, I want to mention the opening credits. Because we come in, and like you say, he's in this facility, right? Right. But when we last saw Jason, where was he? Hell. So I'm thinking when these opening credits come, we're seeing this vision of hell. And so I thought it was going to show us Jason getting out of hell. And no, in fact, that was just inside Jason's mind. I guess it was some massive CG, like, wannabe music video opening. I thought it was cool. Yeah, I, exactly, Stuart. I thought it was really cool. I thought the special effects were very cool. I thought it was his internal brain-working sort of thing. But Arnie, shame on you. This is our 10th podcast. We know that continuity is not on anybody's minds here. I mean... <laughs> They're not going back to hell to pick us up where we last left Jason or previously on Friday the 13th. No. (laughs) No. And I should have known better because it's not like I haven't seen these movies before. But I guess it was just late at night and all of a sudden I was like, really? We're opening this movie in hell? 
I thought Freddy versus Jason handled all that. So I couldn't explain it. But then, yeah, it turned out inside Jason's head is lava, I guess. <laughs> Perhaps it's leftover toxic waste. Who knows? I would actually argue, guys, that this is my favorite opening of any of the movies. Very atmospheric. It does take you into the mind of Jason and out of it as we see medical procedures being used to extract things from him. And what we learn when we finally get to the facility is that because Jason has regenerative properties, he's actually useful in the future because he can help. The thought is if we can study why this guy keeps coming back from the lake, from, you know, death again and again, we can all live longer, better, stronger lives. Which begs the question, if Jason's so good at regeneration, why is he a rotting corpse? But in this movie, he's not a rotting corpse. If you notice, first of all, he had a full head of curly black hair. And second of all, he was no longer worm food. He had very human skin. And Brock mentioned during part nine how the mask had kind of eaten its way into Jason's face. Now it's quite clearly a mask again. Right. You could see his eye and his, I guess the bags under his eyes in the beginning scene when he's hanging from the chain. His eye is darting around looking at the girl. Cool. Well, you know what I liked about this opening scene is we've talked a lot about where Friday the 13th movies draw their influence. But this opening scene actually takes something back that had been lifted from it, this is straight up Silence of the Lambs. The mask, his eyes, the fact that he's in chains and he breaks out and kills everyone. I hadn't even put that together, but you know what? That whole mask that Anthony Hopkins wears, it's a grift from Friday the 13th. And in this movie, they steal it back for a pretty cool introductory scene. I did like the introductory scene, but that said, I'm not a fan of Cronenberg, the director, but I'm strangely a fan of Cronenberg, the actor. He's creepy on screen, and I can't think of a single actor who just exudes more pure, creepy vibe. Oh, he was the old guy in the uniform. Yes. He was the one who was leading the military guys because there was the girl there who wanted to cryo-freeze Jason because they've tried executing him X number of times. No pun intended on the X. And since they couldn't kill him, they were just going to put him in deep freeze, but this guy's here to study Jason, and... I'm telling you, Cronenberg is better than the series deserves because I mean, he rewrote some of his own lines and things like, we want him soft. It's just great. Well, Cronenberg's great in my opinion. And yeah, it was fun to see him here. I had a question why he was here. Is this a Canadian movie? Was he, was he yes. helping out a, a fellow Canuck? No, it's filmed, it's filmed in Canada. And the director was Canadian and a friend of his. Okay, so this opening scene where Jason escapes and he goes after the girl... Right away, I got into this movie because the quality of this movie was already leaps and bounds from what we're used to in all the other movies that we've seen so far. The lighting, the shots. Jason jumps into the stairwell after the girl. He comes in the stairwell and stops, and he looks like a menacing figure. There's another time where he walks right towards the camera, and he's in complete silhouette. It was really cool how they used the iconic figure of Jason to create a menacing character again. And it really sets up the movie for what kind of movie we're going to see. You were watching this a lot closer than I was if you were looking at how they were setting up the shot. I focus mostly when I watch a movie on story. That's a lot of what I'm drawn into. Story and if the acting is compelling. And really this opening scene, I thought it was okay. I wasn't blown away by it. Now that you mention these things, I'm thinking, yeah, it did have a more glossy and slick look than the previous ones. 
Yeah. But a little known fact, this was the first movie completely rendered in high definition digital. Okay. It was filmed on film but rendered in digital. So that could account for a lot of what you're discussing is the fact that it was the first one to kind of, in a way, cheap out and go digital because they couldn't afford to do it all in film res. Actually, what I'm talking about beyond the clarity and the tone of the shots and all that is actually how it took the time to set up what was going on. When I mentioned the lighting and the shots, I don't mean to mention it because I'm a film snob, but it was so well done, it jumped out at me. And for me, it really, really worked because I really felt this guy who directed it understood what they were doing here. I guess I was a little hung up. I wanted to know where he got the machete. Did he get the machete off one of the army guys? Because we first see Jason in chains, and there would be absolutely no reason that they would keep his machete nearby like his security blanket. (laughs) And then we never see him escape the chains. That's just a wonderful little shocker moment. But now he's walking around with a big frickin' machete. You can't go with that, Ernie? (laughs) Hey, I can go with this guy being revived by electricity two or three times, a psychic father rising from the water, but damn it, he better pick up that machete from somewhere. I think he always has a machete on him. It's just a part of his being. He regenerates that. It just comes out of his hand. (laughs) Well, if you want to get nitpicky, let's talk about the cryogenic chamber then. The cryogenic chamber bit certainly doesn't make a lot of sense, but we need the cryogenic chamber to get him to go to the future. So in addition to having this magical machete, it's a machete that can puncture steel doors. (laughs) Yeah. It's like Perseus's machete. (laughs) The beauty of this machete, it pierces steel doors. Here's the thing that really gets me about this cryogenic chamber. They put Jason in the cryogenic chamber and he pierces through it. So the cryogenic stuff comes out of the chamber, therefore rendering it no longer hermetically sealed. But the steam that comes out, the cryogenic stuff that comes out of the chamber, fills the room that the chamber was in and creates a cryogenic chamber of that room. And the girl becomes a giant popsicle outside the chamber, and Jason becomes one inside the chamber. Never mind there's a hole in the chamber. Never mind the room that she's in has doors that are not completely sealed. Didn't you see the blast door go down? It had a blast door. I don't remember a blast door going down. Does a blast door go down on the room? Yes, thus creating a giant refrigerator instead of a mini fridge. (laughs) Well, I don't know about you guys, but since we're being sticklers, I thought it was a little strange. This year that we're experiencing is what, 2024, I think is what they say in the titling. Yeah. And we find out through exposition that he was captured in 2008 and that they've been trying to execute him since then. For many, many years, they said they're trying to, you know, electrocute him, shock him, gas chamber, lethal injection, whatever. Isn't that double jeopardy? (laughs) (laughs) Can they really keep trying him? I mean, if you electrocute the guy and he gets up, I think he's a free man. That's not true. It's not like the old rule that if your roommate dies in college, you get straight A's. (laughs) (laughs) It's not that if you are strong enough to survive execution, you're free. So, Arnie, if the blast door goes down, is that why no one goes in the chamber to get the girl or Jason out until 2,455? Well, that's where you just have to believe this all occurred right before a nuclear holocaust or something. Because you'd think somebody would go to investigate the missing army troops (laughs) and see that, oh, we've had an emergency. Let's look at this frozen room. But instead, 
we jump to the year 2455. Yep. Now Earth is a barren wasteland. But, you know, the movie doesn't bother to tell us why. Is it by SUV killed it? Was it nuclear? Who knows? I'm willing to give the movie this one concession because to me, to get Jason frozen, to get them off the Earth into space, they have to get this out of the way. It's basically having Marty McFly in a time machine, basically. You have to give him, okay, you can travel through time. That's your mulligan for this movie. I will give you this, so I want to see where you take this story further. So for me watching this movie, I was cool with that. I don't care. Get into space and make it good. If you go into space and don't live on the promise you're giving me, then I got a problem. You see what I'm saying? I understand completely what you're saying, and what we're going to see as this conversation continues is that you're willing to give them the mulligan on this because you see this as the only thing, and they had to do it, and you move on. For me, it gets worse from here. Really? (laughs) I have some real problems with this movie, and perhaps I am being a stickler for the whole setup, but... I find every single thing that happens in this movie as implausible as the magical machete that pierces the door and then freezes the whole room. Wow. So you liked this movie less than the last one. I liked this movie less than nine. However, I still think this is an enjoyable movie, but if I think about it, it just makes my head hurt. Nothing in this movie makes any sense. This movie is like movie heroin. It's totally bad for you, but if you just forget about that and just go with it, man, then you'll have a good time. And I think this movie might be better high, actually. In a stone-cold, sober state, I had a lot of problems with the plot of this. Well, you know why I may be a bigger fan of it than you are is the fact that I maybe don't give as much respect to Jason as you do. I think this movie is far more enjoyable if you don't care for Friday the 13th movies And really, what this movie is, is a parody of science fiction films, science fiction cliches. The fact that it has Jason in it is almost beside the point. It's an airplane spoof of sci-fi, of Alien. If we could diverge from the plot for just a moment, here's the question that Stewart asked during Part 8, is why take Jason to New York? My question that I want to ask, because now we are at the point of the plot where Jason leaves Earth on a spaceship because he's discovered by future people. Why take Jason to space? It wasn't even original. Pinhead beat him there by seven years and Leprechaun by five. An alien in 1979. This is basically alien. Stewart's absolutely correct. Instead of an alien, it's Jason killing people on this ship. But why take Jason there? I have to agree, in a sense, you really don't need Jason from Friday the 13th in this movie. It could be any old serial killer attacking people on a futuristic space station spaceship. And that was done very well with Pitch Black. Okay, but I haven't seen Pitch Black. I've seen Jason X. And I have to say, the fact that it is Jason makes it a little fun because we do know Jason and we do know him as a killer. Sure, his M.O. is all screwed up here and he really he really does go to town. But the fact that it is Jason is kind of like a big old smile on your face. Like, oh my God, it's Jason in space. I can't believe you two are sitting here telling me this load of shit because in the Part 8 podcast, you're both telling me this is horrible. Why put Jason in New York? And I say, because it's fun to take Jason and put him in the city. But then here he's in space and I'm yawning and you two are giving me the same shit I gave you for eight. And I'm having the same reaction. I'm like, I can't believe someone that said, oh, just enjoy Part 8 cannot enjoy Part 10. 
If anything, this movie understood science fiction. It got what the genre is, the cliches of it. It lampoons them to varying degrees of success. And I'm not going to call this a precise, hilarious, dead-on send-up. Some jokes work better than others. But it definitely aims for that kind of Paul Vorhoven, Starship Troopers, Robocop kind of comedy. And on that level, a far more astute parody of space cliches than Part 8 was a mockery of New York. Well, when Brock said that this could be any killer... I feel like, exactly, this could be any killer. And I went and did some more research on this movie, because you know what I thought this movie was? I thought this movie was a spec script, picked up by New Line, and then somebody said, hey, why don't we shoehorn Jason into it? The way they took the script, Simon Says, put John McClane in it, and now we have Die Hard with a Vengeance. I thought, for sure that this was some film student's script and it was going to be some other killer they shoved Jason in. No, this was written with Jason in mind, and that dumbfounds me. Why? Why do that? In what reality is it a good idea to take a horror movie character and throw him to 2455 in space? And I would also argue that when you get to a part 10 of something, you probably exhausted the formula I mean, this is almost an act of desperation. Putting him in space is absurd. And you feel their disinterest in how they get him there and, and all of that. It's, it's not even important. What they are trying, what I'm convinced they are trying to do is make a fun space movie that just happens to have this pop culture character. It's the vessel by which they lampoon Star Trek, Alien, you name it. And... I think at first it's pretty successful. I feel like about halfway through the picture, once Jason is revived, it starts to emulate aliens too closely. There's a lot of Marines, and they don't have the budget, I think, to totally follow through on everything they set out to do. Maybe. Maybe. I, I hate to do a mirror image of 8 again, but in 8, I was telling you guys that they were telling jokes, and you guys were like, I missed the jokes. You guys are telling me they're lampooning sci-fi because I missed it. I thought they were ripping off sci-fi and doing it fairly poorly. If they were telling gags, they should have let me in on the joke. I think that it is very well aware of the cliches of the genre, and it uses them. But lampooning specifically, I think lampoon, I think the naked gun. Well, it has that. There's a character right off the bat that gets, uh, as they're excavating Jason from the cryogenic chamber, right. uh, he falls over and the frozen machete cuts his arm off. And you think, oh my God, this is horrible. Well, then someone just walks up to them casually, injects them with something, the wound cauterizes, and they're able to regenerate his arm. That's pretty wacky. That's a physical gag. Admittedly, that was one that, when I was watching it, I'm like, wow, they cut off his arm real quick, and he's alive to be an amputee, and then they grow it back, and I go, oh, okay. Okay, but the reason they did that was to set up the whole growing back thing, and I thought it was really clever how they did that. Yes, they used the comical... And a really interesting look that kid had, I have to say. He um, was weird as hell. He was hell. a really weird guy. He looks like a cartoon character, crossed with Encino Man. So they grew his arm back, and I thought as that comes around later in the movie, they set it up without even really trying to set it up. It wasn't obvious to me. It was more like a, a throwaway gag, and it actually came back. I agree. There's a lot more that pays out investing in the beginning 
uh, than you would think. The only thing that I regret that I feel like might have they've been trying to get there, but unfortunately the logic they tripped up on it was the fact that it would have been really neat to realize that this regenerative technology, this nanotechnology they use to revive the woman, to revive Jason, is the regenerative process they were trying to get from him in the beginning. I think that would have been a nice little touch. Yeah, that would have been a nice thing, especially if, like, if Cronenberg's name was prominent in the beginning and then later it's called the Cronenberg technology or whatever. So Jason is found in 2455 by who? Who is this group? Are they archaeologists? Are they a school field trip? Are they military? It seems to be a little of all of the above, and I didn't quite figure that out. I believe it is a class of astronauts being chaperoned by their professor with the uh, accompaniment of Marines. Huh? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't understand that either. It could be because they're exploring the wasteland that is now Earth, and therefore they need to have a military escort. I mean, I don't know. They don't explain it. All right, so they're found by the teenagers. He's taken on board, as well as the girl from the opening who he stabbed through the door. They've both been frozen, and they use some kind of nanotechnology to resuscitate her and heal her stab wound. And they give her a chainmail dress. Yes. Because future is sexy. I don't get why in space they would wear so little clothing, but I like it. Yes, I think Victoria's Secret does live in the future, and it is not cold in space. (laughs) In space, nobody can see you nip. What I don't get is why they brought the girl character who Jason stabbed and was in the room into the future. And I don't understand why they kept her alive. Because typically speaking in these kinds of movies, the girl who doesn't know what's going on is used to explain what's going on. And we, the audience, live through her in this brand new world. But we get everything we need to get from the actual teenagers, from the doctor himself, the professor... She doesn't really sit there and ask, what's this, what's this, what's this, what's this? All she does is tell them who Jason Voorhees is. That's the only reason she's there? I would again point you in the direction of Aliens, Sigourney Weaver. That's the emulation. If you remember that movie, she's found, uh, you know, many, many years after her first skirmish with the alien and revived and tries to get the military industrial complex to believe her. And indeed, they don't. They want to use the alien for scientific purposes and for money. And uh, it's very similar here. I mean, that's what I call jokes. To me, that's what's funny. It's like, oh, ha, they called him on that cliche. They know who he is and will save him because he'll be worth something. I think also she serves a second purpose from a narrative perspective. I mean, I'm of two minds here. On the one hand, I understand that at this point, this is the character through whom we are introduced to the future, and therefore, theoretically, the character with whom we are the most invested. But by the same exact token, once she puts on what Stuart called her chain mail, I couldn't even tell who was who anymore, which one was from the past, which one was from the future, because she adapted to future life really fucking quick. Really fast. It was like, bam, I'm in the future, okay, my whole family's dead, I don't care. Yeah, she's no Sigourney Weaver. Uh, (laughs) If that's what they were trying to model it on, Ripley, I think it's there if you want to see it. But as an actress, as a film presence, she doesn't have it. But I appreciated the joke. But finally, the movie kicks into high gear when some kids have deviant sex and that wakes up Jason. Not the noise, just the sense of sex. So is that why they intercut those kids fornicating back and forth so many times with Jason on the table? Yes. What they were saying is Jason is called to sex like a dog to meat. That's what I got. Okay, then. So the sex is what revives him. Not the nanobots, but the fucking. 
Yes. Even though they're astronauts and we're used to astronauts behaving in a very scientific jargon kind of way, these are kids. This is a student field trip. And indeed, the uh, person conducting the autopsy on Jason tells the other two that they should just go off and pleasure themselves um, because she wants to do the work and they're being distracting. In the hospital room where this blonde girl is testing Jason when he comes revives, Arnie, earlier you asked, where did Jason get the machete? On the table, there was this beautiful space-age-like machete with holes in it and nice and shiny. And Jason picks it up, looks at it, and loves it. And it was really funny that they had a space-age machete there. I just laughed out loud. I thought it was really great because you know what? Who cares why it's there? He gets a machete in space. It was great. I went with it. I thought it was a surgical tool. And the best thing about this was Jason's first kill. Now, this was a really great kill. The girl is screaming, and she bangs on the window, but the guy can't hear her because the glass is there. And then he dips her face in the chemical bath in the sink. He freezes her face and then smashes her against the counter. Yes, and it was really cool because that's the kind of stuff this movie can do, I was thinking. I was like, wow, these kind of weird space-age kind of kills. And it really got me juiced. So then after this part, we get to Jason kicking ass. He's never killed so many so quickly, I must say. And I was kind of glad because I kind of felt that the crew on the ship was unwieldy. There were too many goddamn characters. And I was glad that they pared it down to a reasonable bunch. We haven't mentioned these characters. We focused on the military and the kids. I kind of liked the engineer and the pilot. Yes. The guy with the cowboy hat? Yeah. One of my favorite characters in the movie I thought was a Vulcan ripoff, but it turned out to be an android. And that was a really fun ripoff of Data. And, of course, you needed to have that character. And it was fun about her was she was all sexy. And her creator was into her. And that was really kinky fun. Yeah, the movie has some kink in it. And this is one of the relationships. Going back to Aliens, which this one cues closely to, you're never sure how to feel about the androids. In the first movie, the Ian Holm character, Ash, is in on it and is trying to kill the human beings. And in the second one, Bishop, you're not really sure, but he ends up proving himself. With her, she has, because she is an android, I wasn't really sure whether she was going to be a, a good character or an evil one. Part of her emotional detachment is the reason for that. But she eventually strips down into some kind of dominatrix gear and gives Jason a pretty good ass-whipping before he pays her back in kind. And in another homage to uh, Alien, she literally rips her to pieces so that she is really only a, a disembodied head. I wish that I liked that character more because I wanted to like that character a lot. I didn't find the characterization to come off well. The actress, I didn't think, played it right. She was just too sunny, happy, 1950s Stepford wife. It did feel like a Stepford wife. I think you nailed it. It sure did, but I think she really played the character well. She played the naivete of an android trying to learn, but at the same time, knowing her shit about the stuff on the ship. Like, she's learning, yearning to learn how to be human. I think you projected or read a lot into it, but while Data always wanted emotions, this android wanted nipples. Yes. (laughs) She was nothing but a fembot, Brock. She she was a pleasure device. No, she sure the hell was not just a pleasure device. She was the science officer, for God's sake. The whole scene with the nipples, you're proving my point for me. She wants to be human, more human. She wants to be able to be like everybody else. And they put that scene in there as a joke. 
But that's the character motivation for that actress. I thought she nailed it. I'm not, again, I'm not saying she gets an Oscar for this. I'm just <laughs> saying she, she does the role. That's you know what? Here's the thing. I like the woman after she's reprogrammed because there's that scene where the student, and you see, I can't tell, is this android the science officer? Is she a school project? Are androids all over? I don't know. But the student reprograms her to be a badass bitch. And then I get to go with her. But in the scenes before the reprogramming, before she's Arnold with tits, I just didn't buy it. And as Stuart pointed out, that scene with Jason when she just kicks his ass and takes names is so much fun. But I had a question. It is the future. There are no laser guns? All they have is these high-powered handguns? <laughs> where are the lasers, man? This is where the budget gets in the problem. <laughs> I, am I wrong? There's... Something happens in the middle of this movie where I suddenly feel like they don't have the budget to do what they're trying to do. And it happens right around the time that they crash into the space station. That looked really bad. I'm sorry. Yeah. It, Model that, train should have been a, that should have been a really impressive moment. And a lot of the whole Marines chasing Jason, those scenes didn't feel right to me. And, and I would say that the second half of the movie is just less successful at doing what it does than the first half. So let's talk a little bit about how Jason takes out all the Marines, because Jason gets loose on the ship, and all the Marines go out to get him. And one by one, he knocks him off, which I really did feel was very aliens. I mean, I was really shocked that there wasn't a guy going, game over, man, game over. By the same token, I love the holodeck death, where there's like a dragon, and these two guys are kind of playing like laser tag, and Jason comes in and kills the dragon and then kills the two guys, but it's holograms of the guys. I loved that death. It was lots of fun. I, I liked it, too. It was clever. It was in the first half of the movie, I would again argue, the better half of the movie. And like a lot of things here, that holodeck is introduced again later in a different way. It isn't just used in a toss-off bit. They work it in once in the beginning because they're setting you up for something really good at the end. So, yes, the holodeck death is really impressive. I agree. I thought the holodeck thing was lots of fun. And I also was like, what the hell is this dragon doing here? And I was like, oh, they got me. Thank God it was a holodeck because that thing looked so cheap. Oh, it looked horrible. It looked (laughs) looked really bad. But then the army death I couldn't go with was the screw. Jason knocks a guy over or throws him over a balcony onto a giant screw. Why is there a giant screw there? I don't know, but that's not one of the better jokes either because, of course, they can't resist the urge to radio to the Sarge, he's screwed. There were some really bad fucking jokes, and the he's screwed was the worst, but there were some others that were just, ugh. I think my least favorite line, and a fitting one, too, is one of the slutty girl, and I, her name escapes me. I think it was Janessa? That is one of them. Yes, I'm pretty sure it was Janessa, and they do all kind of look alike after a while in their thong bikinis, but she's being sucked out of an airlock, yet another alien reference, and says, this sucks on so many levels, and then gets sucked out and goes through a grate and is pureed. And I thought, you know, it might suck on many levels, but in the most important one is in the quality of that joke. The one that I didn't like was when the sergeant, the head of the Marines, is stabbed once again through the door with the magical steel puncturing machete. And he goes, gonna take more than a poke in the ribs to put this old dog down. And so he gets stabbed again. And he goes, yep. That'll do it. I didn't mind any of these jokes anywhere as much as you guys did. I thought the giant screw in the middle of the floor made no sense, but I thought it was lots of fun to watch the body twirl around the screw. And yeah, these jokes were bad. I agree. Mm -hmm. 
but I wasn't too bothered by him. I thought it was in the flow of this particular movie. We were talking about in part eight how the jokes were, for me and Stuart, much too few and much too out there. Yeah, lame. (laughs) But in this context, for this movie, these kind of comments, especially since they're doing that kind of action movie commando alien sort of thing, those kind of one-liners are common in these kinds of situations in the movies. Yeah, I I must go back to this. I find it remarkable that you can defend the humor in Part 8 and say that we don't get it, but but when it's essentially used in the same way in another movie, you totally reject it. And I'm thinking... That this must be related to the fact that this movie is not very respectful to Jason as a badass. No, that's not it. These are just groaners. These are jokes my 90-year-old godfather tells around dinner. There was one joke that I do, I absolutely love, and I cherish it, actually. And maybe it's because it's a pearl surrounded by turds. But the one joke where the teacher is on the bridge, and this is the teacher who has radioed in and found out he can sell Jason for a lot of money because people know Jason was this mass murderer who killed hundreds of people. And he's trying to reason with Jason, and Jason's there. And Jason goes for the old machete. He doesn't like the new one as much. And the teacher just yells, it's okay. He just wants his machete back. (laughs) <laughs> that I love. That was great. They used it in the trailer. It worked even my fourth or fifth time seeing this movie. It still worked as a joke. There was one groaner for me. The engineer, mechanic guy, the big heavy set guy. He makes a comment, a throwaway line about the Microsoft conflict. <laughs> I actually found that a little funny. After yeah, I'm done with the Microsoft one. That to me was a bit of a groaner, but I was in on it, but it was a groaner. You know what I mean? You know, here's what I think about all of this. Some of these jokes are good and some of these are bad. They needed to come at a faster rate. The thing about parody movies is they don't stop and wait for the laugh. You just keep going. It's like you throw 90 things at the wall and something's going to make you laugh. With this movie, there was a lag. It was like they turned to the audience and it was like, ta-da! And it was half the time it was like, no, nope, not going to laugh. So then, yes, KM-14 becomes a super badass and uses her 20th century guns in the 25th century to blow the shit out of Jason and blows his head apart. Awesome. Movie over, right? Well, here's the beauty. And we're talking about this earlier. They set up the regenerative chamber. And I guess one of the bullets got into the machine and sparked it alive or something. And the nanotechnology makes Jason reborn and then some turning him into a hybrid of, like, Jason and Super Shredder. The official name, which is on the action figure, is Uber Jason. Well, there you go. And he looks so fucking awesome with that awesome mask and the cybernetic parts, but that mask was killer, man! I thought it was so much fun. I thought they took it up a notch. Did you notice the eyes, how his eyes were all of a sudden all red? I mean, these are where Jason's eyes should have been for ten movies. Well, actually, isn't one eye a computer eye and one eye a regular eye because he finally replaces his gimpy eye? They both looked real to me, but maybe they were both fake. Maybe, yeah. But he has two eyes. All I could think of when they were merging him, because they merge him with, like, a metal table, right? Because the nanotechnology just kind of splurges around looking for anything to replace his missing chunks of meat. And I kept thinking about the end of The Fly with Brendel Fly merging with the pod. 
You know, I guess I'm not as up on this part as you guys. I thought they had to do something. They had to up the stakes. This is an interesting way to do it. But it kind of started going into Mighty Morphin territory for me. Like it felt... Go, go, Jason Voorhees! A little exaggerated. <laughs> and like I said, if the pace had been quicker, I could have gone along with it. But my attention was starting to lag. There's a couple things about this Uber Jason that work and don't work. Brock, this is your first time ever seeing this movie, right? Yes. And... You had never seen the trailers. You didn't know Uber Jason was coming, right? Well, I did, and I didn't. I did because his picture was on the CD, the DVD. Damn that CD! This scene was put in the trailer. And very rarely do I bitch that a trailer ruins a movie. But to keep this as something in the movie where people would walk out and say, Dude! you got to go fucking see this. You can't believe what they did to Jason. To put it in the trailer was both a great move and a sucky move. It's a great move because this is when the movie kicks into gear. Yeah, we're an hour and ten minutes into it, but this is when the movie really comes into its own. It's a great thing to put in the trailer because now this movie has energy. This movie is fresh. This movie is moving along, and it's not a horror movie at this point. This is just an action movie. This is He's now the T-1000 or what have you, but... I wish that I could have gotten a pure reaction. And Brock, I wish you could have captured a pure reaction to the Uber Jason, because I'm curious what somebody who didn't see it coming would have thought. Well, I didn't see it coming. I didn't know that was going to happen. And I really thought, congratulations, screenwriters, you set this up and you hit it out of the park. And what you said a second ago about how this movie's an action movie and all that stuff you just said about how this movie takes off and all that kind of stuff. I felt this movie was like that the whole time, and when they kicked it up this extra notch for the finale, I thought it was a brilliant move on how to make the stakes even higher. You see what I mean? So, of course, in space, Jason's going to die because they have all this extra technology, but now Jason's one of them. He's a space-age Jason. Deal with that. I thought it was really clever. I thought the movie was really smartly paced out, so when we get to this part, it's even better as opposed to the only good part. See, I think that it was a horror movie for the first half, even though you have Marines, because it's very much Jason killing as Jason always killed, only now he's in space and blah, blah, blah. But it didn't feel like an action movie. You know what it felt like an action movie is when we had a strong hero, because action movies live and die by their strong hero. Again, I said, when KM-14 was reprogrammed, that's when the character clicked for me. I think that's when it became an action movie because we had an action hero. And so we get to the end. And I think all three of us really, really enjoyed the ending when they bring back the holodeck. That was hysterical. That was just absolutely great. That scene is perhaps one of the best in the entire Friday the 13th series where they do a holodeck representation of Crystal Lake circa 1980. And they got everything right. They got the lake looking right, better than it looked in part three, might I add. They got the hair on the girl, the flip with the uh, Farrah flip. Uh-huh. And they're like, you want to do some drugs or have some premarital sex? We love premarital sex. That's great. And they take off their shirts, and then they repeat the gag of the sleeping bag against the tree. Jason kills him and puts him in the sleeping bag and whacks him against the tree again. No, he whacks and- one against the other. That's what's great. Oh, yes. It's, it it's a so callback to the one of you called the brutal kill many moons ago where Jason picked up, a, I think it was part six or seven, he picked up a camper in a sleeping bag and smacked him against the tree. Now he's smacking them against each other. That is one of my favorite all-time kills. It's just great. It's, it's wonderful humor. This is lampooning Jason right here. Yes. 
it is the best joke in the film, and it is nice that they were able to bring us back to the original in some respects, because even though someone might have been theoretically enjoying this movie, it didn't really, it didn't really feel like a Friday the 13th much until yes. this moment. And then it reminded you that, yes, indeed, we are still dealing with this character. Yes, and then the funny part, again for me, they bring it back a second time, is when the military commander sacrifices himself, takes Jason into the atmosphere of Earth 2, and burns himself and Jason up in the atmosphere, and they become a shooting star, and the two lovers by the lake, and they say, look honey, a shooting star, oh, it landed in the lake, let's go check it out, and it's really funny, because the mask goes in the lake, and they're going to go get killed. Yeah, it's good because Man Freddy did the music again, and you saw the mask in the leg and heard the Yeah, it was brilliant. It was really a fun moment. And yes, I think you're absolutely right, Stuart. This is the weakest Friday the 13th movie. I also agree with your other point of, what else are you going to do? Well, they did it, and they put Jason in space. So it's Jason the uber killer, but not at the lake. Totally. You know what? I'm going to throw a comparison in here. This movie reminds me of Army of Darkness, the, the third Evil Dead movie, because it takes the faint whiff of what's happened before, and it is chronologically in sequence with what's happened before, but it takes it into a zany realm that both parodies the series and is something else entirely. And I think that it needed to do something else. I think part of that's desperation, and I think part of it is the freedom to feel like they could do something new and have somewhere to go by making fun of science fiction. At this point, there's a lot of science fiction on television and in the movies. You know, this was coming off who knows how many Star Trek spinoffs and syndicated series, and it feels like I was catching the end of a tail end of a sci-fi wave in pop culture, and they lovingly kind of satirize that. I think it's a much better sci-fi comedy than it is a Friday the 13th movie. Here's the thing. I find this movie to be somewhat enjoyable. The movie's not a bad movie, but I just couldn't connect to this movie in any way. There was no character I rooted to see killed, no character I rooted to see live. I just wasn't connecting to this movie until finally it got to its adrenaline-filled ending, in which point I was the adrenaline junkie watching it and lapping it up, but it felt like too little too late at that point. I think we have come to the end of our discussion on Jason X. Can I bring up one piece of trivia that I just find fascinating? Jason X, the story, continues in a series of comic books, of course, but also young adult novels. Really? Yes! I, <laughs> I, I, I High? want to read that. Yeah, like Sweet Valley High. Wow. Babysitter wow. Club and Jason in Space. Uber Jason on Earth 2 stories. Young readers. I, I would love to read it. I mean, I'm just picturing, like, the three investigators meet... Jason. I can't imagine what that would be and why it would be a book. <laughs> Are you saying they're comic books or they're literally words and no pictures? There were four or five words with no pictures books. Oh, I and, cannot wrap my mind around that. I cannot wrap my mind around that. And then there were also comic books. Mm. The comic books make sense to me, but the young adult novels... Wow, I, I would really like to read one, but again, they're out of print and go for quite a bit of money for Friday the 13th fans. Wow. All right, I guess we should ask, Arnie, do you recommend Jason X? 
Arnie? I'm, I'm trying to decide. <laughs> I can't decide if I recommend it or not. You know, I, I recommend it if you're stoned. It's not a bad movie, but some of these jokes and logic holes and plot holes that I could drive an SUV through or the school bus through, you know, I'm going to say I don't recommend this movie. I like dumb horror. I like stupid comedy. I like Naked Gun and I like Wishmaster. But this movie just, it was too little too late by the time it got to Uber Jason. And I just kind of found the movie to be dumb. I'm not going to call this a great movie, but by far it is certainly the most entertaining in what it sets out to achieve. It is not a horror movie, it is a comedy, and it is a science fiction parody. And as such, if you liked Evil Dead 2, if you liked Killer Clowns from Outer Space, you'll enjoy this movie. Well, I had a really great time, and I, I saw a completely different movie than you did, Arnie. They knew exactly what they were doing. It was a very strong screenplay, and bravo. They set out to accomplish something, and they did, in my opinion. Well, thanks for joining us for Jason X, and I want to remind you that you can check out our other Friday the 13th retrospective episodes on www.nowplayingpodcast.com, where you'll find those and our reviews for other non-Friday the 13th movies in our archive section. And I would like to ask the listeners to please email us at show at nowplayingpodcast.com because we are quickly wrapping up the Friday the 13th series, and I'd like the listeners to tell us what they'd like to see us doing from here. Is it more series, more horror? Let us know at show at nowplayingpodcast.com. So that's Jason X, and where we go from here is a whole different ballgame. So thanks, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Bye, Brock. See ya. Thank you for listening to our Friday the 13th retrospective. We will be reviewing two Friday the 13th episodes each week up to the release of the new movie in February. Come back to nowplayingpodcast.com to get the latest episodes. If you did, if you did, if you did, if you did. Now Playing is a production of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved.